Hey, I'm Brandon. And I'm Hannah, and we're the pastors at New Community Church. Yeah, and it's our hope that this message inspires you to take your next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the message. Come on, give it up for Jesus. A little bit louder than that, y'all. That's who we're here for. Yeah, I love it. Hey, so glad you guys are here, and uh, man, just honored to have you in the room, and uh, if we haven't met, you've heard my name. I'm Brandon, but would love to meet you, as Hannah said, at the tent out back, and just shake your hand, get to know you. Uh, man, we are excited. We're starting a new series today uh, called, it's on, a, 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 really what we're doing is a case study of a person in the Bible, in the Old Testament of our Bible named Nehemiah, and really, over the next five weeks, we're kind of doing a part two of what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. Uh, we took some time over September to ju just discuss, man, what, would, what does it really look like to live on mission with God, to live, as we say it, all about that one. Come on, put your hands together. If you got one of those shirts last week, did you love those? Some of y'all look so good in that charcoal, you know, whatever is going on there. So anyways, um, just very, very excited about that. And that's who we want to be as a people, it's who we want to be as a church. And as I said, this is a part two because uh, I think there's, there's more. I think there's something we can discover in the story of Nehemiah. If you don't know his story, you're going to learn it over the next few weeks. And it's so inspiring. It's so encouraging because he really made an incredible difference in his generation. And really, there's something you have to understand about Nehemiah. There's something you have to understand about our God and how he works, and that's this, that God uses ordinary people to make an extraordinary difference. Come on, that's pretty good. You can put a bueno on that one right there. So, um, no buenos? Come on, come on. Here we go. That's right. I know. I didn't prompt you. I didn't say the right thing. It's coming. Just hold on to it. Um, so here's the thing, though. If you're in the room and you, are, you have been the top of your class, you are the brightest, you are the star athlete. You, you're the one who, I mean, you just, you're the, you're the you know, t level 10 leader. I, I do want to encourage you, God can use you too, okay? But for the rest of us, God likes to use people like us, okay? And that's just, that's who he uses. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It's how our God works. And, and, and I'm hoping that you'll get a little encouraged because maybe you look at your life and you're like, I don't see anything extraordinary about me. Um, it's okay. 5'8", you know, 170, here we are. So I think I get it. I get where you're at. I'm just saying there's something that God can do. And, and I think that what I'm really hoping for is that this is a series for people who believe that God does have more for them. That this is a series for those of you who believe that, man, God does want to do something through my life. There is something that, that he wants to do that, that will last, something that's bigger than just you or bigger than just me. And I believe that if you come with that kind of attitude, that kind of hunger, that kind of openness to what God wants to say, he will speak to you in this series and he will un unleash. And, and well, here's what I'm praying. He will reveal or renew some vision for you. That he will reveal or renew some vision, his vision for you. But I have to warn you, I have to warn you that if you follow that vision, it will come at a cost. It always does. If you follow that vision of God, it will come at a cost. It will cost you uh, maybe some relationships. It's going to cost you some other dreams. It's going to cost you some things you've got to sacrifice. There may, you, may experience, uh, you may experience some trials and hardships. You may experience some loneliness even. Maybe even just bouts of, 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 of anxiety or, or just feeling scared. Some, some, some trials you'll walk through that you can say like, man, I didn't have to choose this way. You may even like have people that just don't understand. They misunderstand you. They, they say things about you. Maybe they make fun of you. You may experience all those things, but I'm telling you, 
if you will follow that dream, the moment that you see someone else's life get changed and God get honored, man, you won't pay attention to what it costs you anymore. Come on, Nuko. That's just the truth. When you really see a life change and you see God honored, it, it, it's just worth it. It's worth it. And there's something in your soul that wants that to happen, that wants that to be your experience and your story. That's why I love Nehemiah. Man, Nehemiah was an ordinary guy, just a, just a, a, a middle, middle class, you know, middle management. Nothing stood out about Nehemiah, who he was and what he did. But God used him to do something extraordinary. And what I love about just the insight we get, we get a peek behind the curtain of how, how Nehemiah discovers God's vision for his life. The process that God takes him through, the, like how he, how he figured it out, how he prayed through it, the steps he took. I mean, it, it really is, like I said, a case study because I know for many of you, you do believe, you do believe that there is a purpose. You just don't know what it is, <laughs> right? Like, I'm in. I just tell me what to do, you know? Or, or maybe, you know, like you do want to make a difference. You just don't know how or how, or how to begin or maybe where to begin. And that's why, again, I love, it's one thing to inspire you, but, but what we want to do over the next few weeks is give you something practical, some, some steps you can take in your life to really discover what is it, God, that you have. Maybe to, to renew, God, what is it that you're calling me to do? What's the next step I need to take in this dream you've got for my life? That, that's kind of the heart, and that's what's so beautiful. As we peel back the, the curtain on Nehemiah's life, on the process that God takes Nehemiah on, I'm hoping that it'll spark something for you, and you'll see, man, that's my step. That's what I need to pray for. That's how I need to lean into God. This is what this season looks like for me. So is that good? If that's good, say bueno. bueno. That's much better. I, I, we're on the same page together. Hey, I, I really do. I hope that you'll receive that. I hope you're ready. To, to, to hear this story of Nehemiah. As I said, Nehemiah is just an ordinary Joe. The, one of the things, that's why I love this story. He's not a pastor. He is not a priest. He, he's not a, he's not a, a king. He, he's no one special. Um, but he was, he actually was someone who, is, who had access to someone special. Nehemiah was, uh, what was his title, was the cupbearer of the king Artaxerxes, a Persian king, way back when, like in the 1990s. It was crazy. It was way back they didn't, even have, they didn't even have smartphones or anything back then. Um, we only had four channels on TV. It was rough. He lived a rough life, y'all, just joking. He lived a long time ago. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah was living in a time, and, and I said cupbearer, and I, I know for some of you, you have no idea what that means. Um, I, just think about the people who surround our president, and just don't, th not the politicians, but the support staff. In other words, Nehemiah had a job that wasn't a job of status, it was a job of service which meant that he, he had to be diligent at what he did because there was somebody else in line. He, he had to be focused. He had to be diligent. He had to be faithful. He, he had to be, have, there was a level of confidentiality that he had to exude. Like he, he had to be trustworthy. You think about the character of you know, the things he would experience, the things he would hear, the ways how he was very intimately in, 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 a, in a tight circle with that king. And so he had to, he had to you know, have that level. The king had to trust him. The people around the king had to trust him. He also had to be incredibly loyal. That's just the kind of person Nehemiah had to be. And really, we know that because of, of his title, what he did, the cupbearer. Cupbearer did a lot of things. Um, he was more than just a, a, a glorified butler. That's not at all what it was. Again, I, I want you to think much, much bigger about just the support role, a service role to a king. And, and really, his title does show something to us. Again, this is, this is back in the B.C.'s. 
when, and I'll give you a date here in a minute, but you don't care. Let's be honest, okay? So this was a long time ago, and I just want you to imagine back then that there were kings, and they, you know, they, they had all the power, they had all the influence, uh, they controlled everything, and that there were often plots to try to take the power from, from different groups, from different coups, all that kind of stuff. And one of the ways they would try to do that often is they would try to poison the king through his food, through his wine, uh, through whatever he took, and so through his Miller Lite maybe. I don't know what they had back then. So he was, I mean, it's a king, right? So, so that he was high life. So he, he <laughs> just walk away from the joke, Brandon. Just walk away. Just don't. Anyways. So here he is. This is the king. And Nehemiah, his job, his job was to check the wine and make sure that the wine had nothing. There was no poison. <laughs> I just want to hear that interview for that job. Like, you know, <laughs> number one, are you willing to die in service for your king? Um, Number, uh, my question back to that would have been, how's the health insurance? Like, you know, like what, what benefits are we talking about? I mean, this is one mistake and you're out, you know? So anyways, Nehemiah, this is his job. He had, the, he had to be in that, that close of contact with the king. I mean, this is multiple times a day. He's, he's in the room with him. He's checking stuff out. He's, he's there. He's verifying. And, 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 and it's, again, it's incredible access. Just, it's just ordinary. And Nehemiah, he's going through a, Ordinary day, kind of like how you might think that today is an ordinary day. And he has this moment where he overhears a conversation and something immediately changes for him. It's the moment that the entire trajectory of his life changes. And, and I want you to pay attention to this detail. Nehemiah wasn't looking for it. Listen, Nehemiah wasn't looking for a dream. He wasn't looking for a vision. Something happened, and I want you to lean into this story. It's in the first chapter of Nehemiah. I'm going to start right here and just going to kind of walk you through it for a few verses. Here's what happened. Hananiah, one of my brothers, most likely not his real brother, but what he meant was a Jewish brother. He was, Jew, he was uh, Jewish. One of my brothers came from Judah, where, where it's kind of the area where the Jews lived, with some other men. He was in Persia. Remember that? So I know you don't know where that is. I don't either. That's okay. So just kind of picture. It's probably like, you know, from like Kentucky to here. I mean, just... Just like out in the woods, okay? So this Han and I came, and so what Nehemiah says in first person, he wrote this. He said, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, in other words, the, the people who are of you know, my heritage, who are still around, that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So again, just kind of pick, carry everybody up and, and, and bring everybody up to speed. It, what had happened was that there was a Jewish nation, and in 586 B.C., uh, the Babylonians came in and took over, and they actually, they came in and destroyed Jerusalem, which was the capital, and they really, they had come multiple times in multiple waves to dwindle this nation down to a very, very little area to where now this, uh, in 586, like I said, there was a massive destruction, and, and it was the most gruesome kind I could explain to you. It's worse than anything you could watch on Netflix. I mean, it's, it, it was so unbearable what these people experienced. If you ever heard of Solomon's temple burned to the ground? The gates, the walls, everything, which symbolized their protection, this idea of a security of structure for the society, it completely torn to rubble. Every building was torn down. I mean, men, women, and children killed right on the spot. And they left alive some just to suffer. They left alive some. This is how, how awful the Babylonians were. They left alive a few just to know this is how, that I want you to remember, I want somebody to tell the story of how awful this was. Can you imagine the desperation? No jobs, no protection from, from just whoever could come get it, but not just that, just the wildlife that was there. I mean, you gotta, I want you to put yourself in that story back in Judah, the, the very thing that, 
that he was at, Nehemiah was asking about. These, these people, I mean, they had been, been torn down so much. And actually what happened was about uh, there, there was uh, everyone who was left, all of the, uh, they were exiled. You heard that story. The Babylonians took them from Judah and they took them into Persia and they actually had them be slaves there. And just so hopeless. Their, their lives were over. They wouldn't be able to get out of this slave caste system. But about a few dec- decades later, actually 70 years later, uh, there was actually a new king and he released 50,000 of these Jews to go back to their homeland. And he said, hey, if you want, you can try to rebuild your community. And so that's what they did. They, they went back to their homeland and they were all encouraged. They were excited. But as soon as they started, they stalled because there were no walls. There was, there was no gates. There was nothing protecting them from, from the outside forces. There, there were no jobs. There was no supply chain. Like how do you start something when there's nothing? How do you create something out of nothing? And so these 50,000 Jews who just went back to incredible poverty and wilderness and trying to start over and disease and just, I mean, just imagine they just, they ended up just kind of huddling together and just trying, trying to survive. That was all they could do. They couldn't build anything. They were just trying to live to the next day. And that's why Nehemiah hears Oh, one of my brothers, one of my Jewish brothers is in town. Let me hear what's going on. And he tells them, and this is what Hananiah says. It. He says, because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Did, you, did, did I skip a, a scripture? Go back. Go back to the other one. Those who survived the exiles are back in the province and they are in great trouble and disgrace. Because of the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Man, something hits Nehemiah in this moment. As I said, this is the moment. This is the moment that everything changed for his life. And there's these things that that Nehemiah chooses. There's these things that God reveals to him that in a moment, it absolutely takes this ordinary man and sets him on a journey to do something extraordinary, extraordinary, so much bigger than any other cupbearer would ever be measured up to say, oh, yeah, that's the one. That's the leader we pick. And I want you to lean into this story. Here's what I'm hoping. I want to show you three things, three choices Nehemiah makes when he hears this news that set him up for God to give him a vision. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing Nehemiah does. He sits down to cry. He sits down to cry. Here's how that verse, you just heard what happened. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Now, I think that's incredible. Because think about where he's at. Nehemiah is living in a palace thousands of miles away. And, and he's, he's living in a place super comfortable. He's eating everything the king's eating. He, he doesn't have to have any streaming subscriptions. It's already in the palace. Like, he, he just uses their password. Like, his life is great. He doesn't have, he's probably got like, he gets to travel. Nobody traveled. Then he gets to travel with the king. He's the cupbearer. He's, he's the one. I mean, wherever the king goes, he's in the palace. Wherever, if there's ever a trip, that's where he's at, taking pictures, you know, blessed to serve. That's, I mean, that's his kind of, he, he gets to share with everybody like, hey, look at me. Look what I got to do. He's got all this incredible access, but, but he's so comfortable. What a comfortable life. And I don't know about you, but there are so many times that I'm just sitting at home on the couch. Kids are in bed. I've taken a slight nap from 8 to 8.30. Come on, anybody on the 8, 8, 8 p.m. nap train? Anyway, so I wake up and I start scrolling and something, something devastating happens on my news feed. And I'm just like, 
Oh. Right? Nehemiah made a choice right here. He could have just kept scrolling. I mean, his life was great. He was secure. But something happened. He made a choice to stop. And not just to let that news hit his head, but let that news hit his heart. And he sat down to cry. Can I ask you something? When's the last time you sat down to cry? What, what burdens you? What, what, what's something that has just overwhelmed you? What injustice or what need have you seen where you stopped scrolling for a minute, where you stopped and you just said, whoa, 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 I, I can't just let this go through my head or just go through my eyes. No, I just gotta get, this has got to get in my heart. Nehemiah chose to let that pain, to let that frustration, to, to let someone else's situation into his heart. And it started something in him. He sat down to cry. I'm telling you, there are things around you worth crying about. There are things around you that are worth looking at and seeing and letting inside. What's something that has grabbed your heart? What is something that has just taken control? What is something that, that just you look at and you say, someone's got to do something about this? Man, maybe it's something you've seen. Maybe it is an injustice or a need around you. Maybe it's something that just because of your calling or, or your career or your expertise, you have a window into a, a situation that, that I don't have, that we don't have, but you do. Maybe there's a pain or an abuse that you've experienced in your past. And unfortunately, you know too well what that feels like. But maybe... Maybe God wants to heal that so he can help you help someone else never experience that again. What is it that breaks your heart? And when was the last time you sat down and you really cried? I will confess I am not a crier. I promise you because I didn't cry at my wedding. I didn't cry at any of our kids' births. And I've been reminded sometimes <laughs> when Rudy's on the TV and they're chanting his name from the stands, and I, I, my tears just start flowing. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not a crier unless the Hokies win. Come on, here we go. So there's, I'm not a crier, but there, there have been times, there have been times that I have been driving up 95, looking at the skyline, and, man, my heart is broken for our community. I, I remember the stories, you know, there's multiple times in the Gospels of Jesus's life. The Gospels are his, the eyewitness accounts of what he did and, and what he said. And, and the, in these Gospels, you see in our Bibles that Jesus, oftentimes he would come up on a crowd or he would come up on the city of Jerusalem. And he had such a great vantage point often because it was in the mountains and he could see everything. And he said he would have moments where he would just get moved emotionally. He would get moved emotionally because he saw the people, he saw the need, and it just moved his heart. He would sit down literally and cry. I'm asking you, when's the last time that you were so moved that you cried about it? I've had days where I've driven up to see the city, and I, I'm literally, I'm, I'm driving with tears in my eyes, and I'm praying as I drive past the neighborhoods that I know where poverty exists, not just poverty, but what happens in spaces of poverty. I'm driving past the strip clubs in Richmond. I'm not, I'm not just like ignoring them like they're not there. I'm not just going to scroll by or drive by. I'm praying for them, and my heart is being broken for the men that are in there, for the women that are in there. When's the last time? 
When's the last time you cried over our community? I, I, I've cried over the neighborhoods. I've, I've driven over Atlee Station and driven through King's Charter, and I've driven across in Glen Allen, and I've driven up in Ashland and circled that, and I've driven by our schools because, listen, there are one out of every four kids in our community, they're living in a fractured home right now. Right now, the suicide rate in Hanover County, it's higher than the national average, and it is rising in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in my neighborhood, in my schools, in my community. And I'm thinking God is looking for a people who will just sit down and cry. Sit down and cry. I get nervous. I get nervous when I haven't cried in a while. And maybe for you, it's just good to ask God, Lord, is there something I've just been scrolling by and I need to slow down and pause? Come on, you with me? Let's not be a church. Let's not be a church that doesn't, doesn't stop sometimes and cry for our community. That doesn't stop and cry for our need. How do you catch God's vision for your life? And you have to have places and spaces and times when you don't just move on, but you really stop and you sit down and cry. That's number one. But he doesn't stop there. Here's the second thing he does. Number two, he kneels down to pray. Listen, if it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to, cry, to pray about. That sounded better if I would have just... If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. You know, And, and I think sometimes I offend God because I've let this phrase come out of my mouth. Well, I... Guess all we can do is pray. I mean, I mean, think about that. We're talking about the, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. We're, we're talking about the I can do anything and everything God. We're talking about the limitless, don't put me in your box God. When we go to prayer, we invoke the power, the, the, the presence, the favor, the goodness, the opportunities, the perspective of that God. Come on, somebody, if you believe in a powerful God, can I hear from you today? Come on, come on, do you believe in a powerful God? Prayer is not just this last, you know, Hail Mary, no, prayer is the way we get access to what God sees, to what God feels, to what God thinks, to his wisdom, to his understanding, to his opportunities, to his ways. I'm telling you, in bold prayers, bold prayers honor God. Bold prayers honor God and bold prayers reflect what we believe about God. So I'm asking you, when's the last time you cried? And I'm asking you, when's the last time? When's the last time you prayed a bold prayer? Here's Nehemiah's. Here's, look what happened to Nehemiah. He said, for some days I mourned and I fasted for some days. And I prayed before the God of heaven. And as you read along, what you see is he confesses how he's just, God, I've missed it. I, I've just, there's some things I've been doing. I've just been distracted. And then Nehemiah continues in his prayer to, to pray over, you know, the, the, really his people. Like, how, how have we of a people let this happen? How, how do we miss this ball? And, and then he has this moment where he begins to pray a bold prayer. And he recognizes, hey, I've got access to someone who has resources, to someone who has power, to someone who has networks. And God, I need your favor. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night. And then he says this, listen, he says, give your servant success 
by granting him favor in the presence of who? The king. That's a bold prayer. That's such a bold prayer. And bold prayers honor God. I'm going to ask you again, when's the last time you prayed a bold prayer? When's the last time? Because if you're just praying, if you're just praying, well, God bless my food and God keep my kids safe and God, you know, just help me pass this test and God, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, if your prayers reflect what you believe about God. And if you're not praying bold prayers, you may not believe. You may not have your faith really set on a God who can do anything. And a God who doesn't get overwhelmed by the needs and the, and the injustices that you and I, we can't solve and we do get overwhelmed by. That's the God we go to. Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah. I, here, here's why I love Nehemiah. I already said he's an ordinary man, but he also is this. He's a, a leadership genius. He's a leadership guru. I mean, you will see it. In fact, if you've never read the story, it won't take you long. Look in your Old Testament. Read through the story of Nehemiah. I hope you'll do it this month with us. And just kind of read his story because you will see he, he's so strategic. He's so good at casting vision. I mean, when we were learning how to cast vision as a church and how to, how to inspire people to be a part of what God's calling us to do here in your community, we went to Nehemiah because he's kind of the, the, the case study. He's what you see. I mean, the way he does it, the way he inspires and motivates people, the way he gathers crowds and, and gets them really focused to do something together. It's incredible. He's an incredible, incredible leader. But here's what's so awesome about Nehemiah. Everything he does as a leader is, is bathed in bold prayers. Everything he does as a leader is led by his intimate relationship with God. This is just the first bold prayer that we read, but he actually has 12 bold prayers in the book of Nehemiah where you just see him asking for things. I just don't know if I've always had the faith to ask for. It's beautiful what bold prayers do. And maybe for you, maybe something has broken your heart, but you've just... Man, you've just complained about it, or you've just kind of thrown up your hands and said, well, I guess this is just the way it'll be. I mean, this is just how the school system works. I guess this is just how my job works. I guess this is just how this industry works. I guess this is just the way my family will be. I guess this is just, you know, the way those motels will be on, on Route 1. Oh, I guess this is just, no, 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 what? when's the last time? Maybe, maybe it's not just enough to sit down and cry, but maybe it's time to take a step and pray a bold prayer. Come on. You with me? How do you catch God's vision for your life? You've got to have moments when you sit down and cry, but you've got to have moments when you kneel down and you pray. And here's the third one. You've got to have moments that you stand up and act because there will be a moment for you. There will be a moment for you when, when, when God, he, he burdens your heart and, and you open your heart to receive and, and, and you take some time to pray. But I'm telling you, there will be moments when God called you to do something. And it may be something uncomfortable. It may be something new. You might not be looking for a vision or something to be renewed in your life or anything. But I'm telling you, when God brings it, you got to walk through that door. You have to have the courage to stand up and act. Nehemiah had spent days praying. And he, he went into the presence of the king. And honestly, here's what you see as you read through chapter 1 is that even, even there, even as he's in the presence of the king, the king could tell something's different with you. There's something, something, Nehemiah, you're not telling me. There's something, I can see something on your face. Like there's something that you're carrying that's heavy. Here's what the king says. He says, king said to me, what is it you want? And so Nehemiah, he just, we call it a flare prayer. Oh God, that's what he said. Then he, I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king right there. 
Listen, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let the king send me to the city of Jerusalem where my ancestors are buried. <laughs> Man, we, I could spend a week on this sentence on how you cast vision. Send me to the city that's connected to my past so I can rebuild it. What a vision. So succinct. You've got access in the audience of a king, and in one sentence, he tells them everything he needs to know. And right here, a door opens for Nehemiah to do something that no cupbearer was ever meant to do. No ordinary man, no ordinary person. And yet, God poured out his favor on this vision. And the resources and the manpower and everything Nehemiah needed to accomplish what God had in mind for his life, he had it. You got you to gotta sit down and cry. You got to have moments where you, you don't just cry about it, but you really get on your knees and you really talk to God about it and ask God, what is it? You've got to have moments when God prompts you. And I believe every one of us have moments where God invites us to stand up and act. I want to invite the worship team to come on up because we're getting ready to seal this. But I just want to share a story with you. It was just a few years ago that Hannah and I had that moment. We had, we, we had sat down and cried. We had prayed. But we knew that God was asking us to do something about the state of the church, about the state of faith and spirituality in our generation in our community, in our city. We've been in Richmond. If you don't know, we've basically been lived in Richmond all our lives. I've, uh, I served as a pastor for 16 years on the south side, and Hannah was on staff with us at our church for five years. And then we, But we felt like we needed to, to do something new. There was a new work God was calling us. And we, we began to get broken and burdened for what was happening in the church because I, if you don't know, if you do not understand the statistics right now, there is a mass exodus of people in our nation, in our state, in our city, in our communities, walking away, not just from church, walking away from God, from the God who loves them, from the God who knows them, from the God who has a, a perfect plan for their life. They're walking away. And, and there's a bridge of trust between the church and the community. It's just been burnt. It, it's crazy the number of people that have walked away, the number of kids and in the elementary schools just down the street that have never heard the gospel, they don't know the real Christmas story. They don't know the name of Jesus. Man, we've got stories we could tell you about, just conversations. About, it's, they're in your family. They're in your neighborhood. They're, they're, around our, they're around us, people who just don't know. In fact, here's just one stat, just one stat to give you. If, if you're familiar, one of the things we recognize is there are people around the world that don't, have never heard the name of Jesus, never heard the gospel. We call them the unreached people groups. And there are, there are hundreds of groups like that still around the world that have never heard the gospel of Jesus before. But right now, people who are disconnected from church and disconnected from God in, in America, they make up the eighth largest unreached people group in the world. Eight largest. They're in your backyard. They're in my backyard. They're in my family. And there was a season where we just said, God, we got to stop scrolling and we just got to and recognize this isn't about getting people to do something on a Sunday. This is about people who are walking in bondage and people who are really struggling and have pain and families that are, 
just having, having rifts and, and generations and generations of, of just brokenness. And God, I don't want to just get comfortable in my life. I don't want to just make that the goal. And we knew, we started praying about it, and we started talking to people that we cared about and we loved, and we started talking to them about it, and we decided, you know, we've got to do something about this. But who are we? We're just ordinary Joes, man. We are, and Joannas, however that works. So we, Hannah and I, we were just, you know, th- there's nothing special about us. Like, there's nothing. I, I didn't even play quarterback in high school. Like, I'm not even that cool. You know, like, there's nothing, that, there's nothing to, to celebrate. You know, like, who are we? But we just knew we had to do something about it. And, and three years ago or four years ago, actually, we, we decided we're going to make us take a step. And we moved, and it cost us. Man, it cost us our community, our friends. It cost our kids, their friends. And, and, and you know, like, I mean, they just, it cost us stability, financial security, knowing kind of a, a stability there. It cost us so much. It was scary, and we had no idea how to do it or where to do it. We never planted a church. I'd never raised money. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. And then there was this little thing, a little pandemic that only lasted for two weeks, but, you know, it kind of took up like four years of our life. And, you know, we just, we had to, in the middle of all that, God, are you sure you called us now? Because I just bought a house. Like, you know, is there, are you sure this is the time? And, and you know what happened is that God provided every penny we needed to launch. And then God sent 72 people to be a part of a, a launch team, a dream team to say, hey, let's do this in a way that honors God in this community. And we've seen God over three years. You're, you are looking at, at three years ago what broke in our hearts and the result of that. And you may be saying, well, that's great, Brandon, but I'm not a pastor and I don't want to be. And that's fine. This isn't about my story. This is about your story. And this is about the vision God has for your life. Because your calling and your vision is just as important to God as mine is. There's nothing holy about this. Not more holier than what God has called you to do. I'm just an ordinary guy. We're just an ordinary couple. A little short, a little below average. But listen, there's nothing special. And God just has a way of using ordinary people to do something that they never imagined, they could never dream of, they never thought of. We weren't looking for a vision to start a church, but God gave it to us anyway. And you might be here today so comfortable. You love your life. You love your career. You love what you're at. But man, God is beginning to deposit something in you to disrupt where you're at. And he's saying, I've got more for you. Come on, don't, don't ignore that. Because we have one life, church. Come on, Nuko. We have one chance. We've got one community. We've got one generation. This is our day. This is our chance to sit down and cry, to kneel down and pray, and to stand up and act and bring a new community here. Come on, can you give God some praise? That's what he's asked us to do. I want you to hear this. I want you to feel this. If you're still struggling with that insecurity, here's what I want you to hear. You don't have to be chosen by man if you are called by God. Come on, somebody. You do not have to be approved. You don't have to have education already. Listen, if God calls you, he will see that word through. He finishes everything he starts. He he does what he says. You can trust in a limitless, all-powerful, I can do anything. I can break your box kind of God because that's who is speaking to you right now. Let's go, Nuko. Come on. I just believe that really 
The reason why God called us to start a church wasn't just to get you in the room. I believe it's for what God wants to spark in this room for what happens out there. He, he did something in me for what he wants to do in you. And I'm just praying that you'll just open your heart and you'll take some time over the next few weeks as we look at the story of Nehemiah and you will just invite God to shake something up in you, to stir something up in you. Because God wants to use you to make an extraordinary difference. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey with Jesus. Yeah, and we'd love to connect with you further. And the best way to do that is at our website, thenewcommunity.church, where you can connect to our small groups, find other resources, and even give to the work God's doing through New Community.